This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This podcast is proudly in association with HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a subscription-based meal kit company that delivers amazing recipes straight to your door. On the app, you'll be able to choose your weekly recipes to meal plan your week. They deliver fresh ingredients straight to your door to make the recipes that have carefully been selected. With step-by-step recipe cards, there's no need to be a chef to cook delicious meals. You have full flexibility on what meals you get and when you get them. It's easy to add extra portions, change recipes, modify your delivery time, or pause your deliveries. We are also delighted to offer a 60% discount to West Ham fans on the first box, and then a 25% discount on the following two months when you use the code West Ham Way in capital letters. So download the HelloFresh app or visit the website www.hellofresh.co.uk forward slash West Ham Way to get these delicious, easy to make meals sent straight to your door. Hello Fresh, dinner is solved. You're listening to the West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi oi! Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself Dave Walker and XWH employee. For the second time in three weeks, we don't have a game to reflect on, which gives us another opportunity to double up on questions from patrons, either side of a news update from X in the run-up to the end of the transfer window. Welcome to the show, everyone. In the absence of a game, once again, we're going to go double bubble on Patreon questions, and X is going to kick us off. Right, the first one comes from Billy Crowther, and he said, Hello, gents. What would you rather, A, Declan Rice signing an improved three-year contract, or B, the signings of Alvarez, Ward-Prowse, Kudos, and Phillips? And obviously you've got to throw Mavropanos in there as well. Um, and Phillips on a six-month loan deal. So oh, the signings we've made. Yeah, I think you've got to go for the latter. Mm. And yeah, you've got to. I, I, I mean, I know Deck is world class, and obviously Arsenal love him. I've got a couple of Arsenal mates; they think the world of him, and he's doing very well there. But he's also one man. I mean, if you look at the quality that we've spread across that midfield since we've let him go, it's just fantastic. I mean, I, I think if I would have known what we would have done before we sold Deck. Uh, it would have taken the edge off the disappointment for me because of the amount of quality that we have brought in. And if you look at the individuals, you've got Alvarez who sits in that defensive row, ultimately does what Deck does best, I think. You've got the set-piece quality of, of James Ward-Prowse. Mo Kudas is just absolutely explosive. I love him. And then you've got Calvin Phillips, an England international, on loan for six months. I mean, it's it's fantastic business. We've done really, really well. And I, I, I'm not even in two minds about that one. I'd take the new signings all day. As much as I rate Deck, I would. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same as well. And everyone knows how much I love Declan and, and what a player and person I think he is. But you've only got to look at it as it was one man versus, you know, five men there essentially in your squad. And, you know, when you think of it, 
like this. You know, Declan's midfield partner for England most of the time is um, Calvin Phillips. So essentially, we've got the one got rid of one midfielder, England midfielder for another. Now, obviously, I do believe mm. Declan is the better player out of the two, but you, you know, it's not that far off. And then if you throw into the mix, like you said, Kudos, who I think is world class, James Ward Prowse, whose contributions have already been hugely significant this season. Alvarez had a great season and can also play centre back as well. Um, and then Mavropanos, you know, a few question marks over him, but mm. I'm hoping long term with another season behind him in the Premier League, he will adapt and be a, a strong signing. So yeah, for me, I mean, Dex obviously the best player out of all of them individually, but individually versus what is it, five players? Um, you know, you, you five players strengthen almost half the team. So, yeah, and yeah. I think we were last season, we were a little bit too reliant on deck, whereas now we've got quality all over the place. So, again, mm. to reiterate what you said, if if you told me at the time that would be the players that would be replacing him, then I don't think I'd have been as bothered about him leaving as I am, as I was. So, yeah, mm. credit to the recruitment team for, for making all of that happen. Mm, um, the next... Yeah, the next question's a long one, so I'm just going to have to sort of read it um, to you now. Um, and it's from TGM. And hold on a minute, something's going to be a bit, a bit funny with my um, questions here. Two seconds, it's all, I can't read it properly. Right, there we go. Um, and he said, evening, fellas, hope you're well. Week five of asking this question. I'm generally interested <laughs> to know your thoughts and insights on it too. You mentioned a couple of times now that the rumours are Moyes is going to sign a new two-and-a-half-year deal. <clears throat> we're in good position now. Sixth knockouts of Europe, but we're out of both cups and can also face no Europe next season. How would you feel if Moyes signed a contract, but we didn't finish well by the end of the season? Surely players like Pakata and Kudos would want regular European football, and if we can't deliver that, do we risk losing them? We'd be signing the contract soon. Would he be signing the contract soon or seeing how we get on at the end of the season? I'll be honest. I think anything less than seventh or eighth, depending on how European positions falls at this stage, having thrown the cut competitions would be a bit of a disappointment. What's your thoughts? Keep up the good work. I agree. I think we are within our rights as fans to have a certain level of expectations now. I think neutral fans and pundits alike start need to start giving West Ham some respect and, and recognise us for what we are now. And I say this all the time on this podcast, and I know I've probably got claret and blue tinted glasses, but we are a big club and we have got a squad full of excellent talent. And we've got a very experienced manager, and this is where the, the, the question comes into play. And it's a difficult one to answer, it is, because you've got someone in David Moyes who has to take credit, uh, a lot of the credit, for the recruitment so far. He has instilled stability into the club, consistent stability. And we've qualified for Europe consistently. We've won a European trophy. So, yes, it is a case of, is the grass always greener? And... On the flip side, you look at someone who's ultimately thrown the, the cup quarterfinal of a competition we've never won. It was very, very, very disappointing against Bristol City, both home and away. So that's another competition that we're out of. Yes, in his mind, he might want to focus on the two priorities for him, which would be the Europa League and the Premier League. But with that comes expectations. I do think we, sh we should seriously be pushing for, um, for, for sixth, seventh place. Uh, that, that for me is a realistic achievement. Absolutely is, and, and absolutely it should be. The question is, with all that stability and consistency and what is achieved so far, would the grass be greener? Would another manager come in and take us to the next level where we are now going to be talking about players committing their long-term futures because they're playing consistent European football, maybe even competing in the Champions League, which means you would keep hold of the likes of Kudus and uh, Pakita who have, um, you know, Packeter has been rumoured to want Champions League football. Mo Kudus won't be far behind him. Is that manager out there? Does Stanton have someone that he's convinced would do a better job? Is he going to bring in someone that can be more entertaining and braver and bolder and, and make better use of the players that he's got and be on the front foot and take the game to clubs and, and be proud to be one of the better clubs in the division rather than sometimes be, not cowardly, I think that's a strong word, but... 
I don't know, almost a bit submissive against teams he shouldn't be submissive against. So I, I don't know the answer. It, like I say, it's a constant tug of war for me because if you was to, to lose Moisey, then you would be losing the, the, the best ability this club has had in a long time. And it is a case of do you stick or twist because someone else could come in and it could be a disaster, but someone else could come in and then we, we find ourselves competing for Champions League football and domestic trophies on a regular basis. So it's a really, really tough question. But I do believe we're, in terms of his contract renewal, that should come with the pressure and expectation of consistently finishing high and having a genuine crack at trophies. And I think I've matched a long answer to a long question there. <laughs> and I don't know if that answer's any good, but that's, that's what comes at the forefront of my mind anyway. Well, I wouldn't offer him a new contract now, despite what people probably think. I would say I would offer him the new contract at the end of the season because David Moyes doesn't seem to be particularly, um, what's the word, Uh, desperate to get the contract right now. He said he's happy to see it out. And so, therefore, if you make the, the call at the end of the season, then that risk that is alluded to in the in the question there is eliminated so I would I would only offer him a, a contract at the end of the season and I think it does depend on the league position you know I, I agree I think if we finish beneath eight for now given where we are right now then that would be a very disappointing season considering where we are currently you know we're we're going to be going into February sitting in sixth place um so it would be uh, you know a, a poor turn of results for us to then within the next remaining three months to fall from there and then as is said we've got the European competition as well you know I, I think if we can finish well in the league and not win the European trophy I think he should still keep his job I mean if we do well in the European trophy and slip to say eighth or ninth, maybe, but we do win the European Trophy. He should still keep his job. But if I think if we don't do well in Europe and then we start slipping down the league as well, then I think maybe you'd have to question is there a better option out there? But for me, I'm at this current moment in time, I'm very happy with him. I think, again, he's brought in Calvin Phillips. A large part of that deal is down to him. You know, Calvin Phillips alluded to that in his interviews that he spoke to Moyes and it was his um, eagerness to sign the player and his duration of interest that impressed him and he likes David Moyes. You know, so he's brought in an England international again and I think you have to just look... Uh, the recruitment that he's overseen. You know, we all sit there saying, well, a manager should be able to do well with these players, but, you know, it was our current manager that got these players in. So I think, you know, that deserves more respect than perhaps it probably gets. But, yeah, for me, I would make the call at the end of the season, but if I had to make a call now, then I would give him the contract now, yeah. But I would rather wait the season so I have more facts than I currently have right now. Yeah, it's so cutthroat, isn't it, with David Moyes? It, it, mm. it's, the, the, the fine margins are quite incredible because, you know, only recently we were saying, well, we're in the quarterfinal of the League Cup, we're in the qualifying stages now, knockout stages of Europe, we're doing well in the league, we're still in the FA Cup. Suddenly, he throws the game at Liverpool, suddenly he loses the game at Bristol. If we hit a couple of bumps in the road in the Premier League and we hover around mid-table and we get knocked out in the Europa League, suddenly it then builds a case to not renew his contract. Mm. But then if he does keep that consistency and does hover around that seventh, sixth mark in the Premier League and we progress quite far in Europe, then it's a, it's a different story. But I think with someone like David Moyes, and I've said this a trillion times to point my boring myself, it, it, it's always going to be the case with him because of his style of play, because of the, the divide in the fan base and the kind of Marmite tag that he seems to have. If he plays that way and loses and isn't successful, it's going to come on top for him 10 times more than it would do if he did play <coughs> in football. It's, it's just it's just the way it is. It's always going to be that way. Yet the Wolves will be away from the door if he gets results because it is a results-based business and that's what it comes down to. I mean, the one thing that I would love to know, and I don't even know if there are any, I'm assuming there is, it, what are the objectives from the board for David Moyes this season? What have they outlined as their expectations in the Premier League in terms of finish, in the Europa League in terms of finish, and what they kind of expected and maybe even demanded from the cup competitions? I don't know. And and how much of a metric is that to decide whether he gets a new contract at the end of the season? Is it a black and white, right, Dave, this is what we set out for you and this is what you've achieved? So either, yes, well done, you've achieved that, here's a new three-year deal, or no, you haven't, sorry, we're going to have to part company. Mm. 
Don't no. know. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But one thing I would challenge a little bit is where you said um, get the walls away from the door. Um, I think the walls, if they did get away from the door, would only be you know on the mat or off the just off the mat because with whatever the case of David Moyes, there's, a, there's people out there that whatever he does, even if he won the league by twenty points, oh, I mean, it would still have something to say about him so I think there there is always going to be critics of him for some reason because I think mm. some people are too stubborn to admit they may be wrong so they would literally use anything where I mean we've seen it haven't we with some accounts where they've claimed that yeah. when we've played well another one of the coaches has managed the team and, and when we have and it's David Moyes and when we signed a player that's done well oh, oh it's Tim Steinton when we haven't oh it's David Moyes it's actually ludicrous a little bit so I think um, I think there would always be his critics. Unfortunately, I don't know why. So I think it's really harsh that you know I understand people critiquing him when things are not going well. But if we have the evidence of success again, which hopefully we will do at the end of the season, I don't understand why some people just won't accept that the success is there. I get the foot style of football, I do, but you know I think we're going to see a, a, a better style of football. Um, in February anyway, because we haven't really... How many games have we had Bowen, Bakitar and Kudos completely fit? Mm. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's been many. And then what you've got to throw into the mix as well is that you're going to have Calvin Phillips in that midfield as well. So you're going to get more energy. You're going to have more protection for the defence. You're going to have more, like, I don't know, getting the ball up there to the, to the attack as well. I think we'll actually see a better style of football from February onwards. Of course, there'll be games where it doesn't quite work and it's not great. But on the whole, and I think that's the case of all Premier League teams, but on the whole, I think our style of football will be good. And I'm, I'm excited for seeing a fit forward line together you know with Antonio as well you know that's another one off the bench to come on when things have you know when the other team's tiring and maybe a new addition as well you know we're looking at Osman we're looking at Jota I'll talk about those in my section if you throw another one of those into the mix you know I think we will see a good style of football too yeah I hope so but I do think you know with I, I, listen, I think there are credible arguments from Moyes in people, and I think there are credible arguments from Moyes out people. I don't think, and I know you're not saying this, because I don't think everyone that has the opinion that they'd rather see David Moyes out of the club has an agenda. But there are a lot of people that do, so and, and predominantly on social media, so I get that. And then, of course, you know, there's a huge chunk of the fan base that don't voice their opinion at all. You know, they don't have social yeah. media that might be yeah. very happy with David Moyes, but just don't mm. feel like they want to share it with the world. There might be fans that also would like to see a change, but don't want to share it with the world. So mm. whilst it probably feels at times like the, the prominence on social media that some of these accounts have is speaking for everyone, they're not. But, you know, mm. one thing is for sure, I think when you break it down, David Moyes does bring stability. He has brought success, but then there are concerns. At the yeah. same time, could you say that about every manager? So it's it's a constant backwards and forwards in your mind. And I, and I think it will come down to, you know, if, if we slip and we don't perform well and we've got top players that maybe, maybe don't like playing week in, week out purely on a counter-attacking basis and want Champions League football, then that could start to see some serious problems. But if we're consistently up there and having a go... Then yeah, I, I I think it's it'd be okay, but I, I just don't I can't see an end to this divide for different reasons. I can't. But what what we should all hope for is that West Ham win games and we do do well. Whoever's in charge, you know what I mean. But sometimes it seems like we veer away from that as a fan base just to have a fucking pop at each other. Which yeah. is which is frustrating. Oh, it's very frustrating. Like every time there's a transfer, it's oh, it's this one, so it's this one, so one thing I will say is I totally agree with you about what you said about social media, um, and and it doesn't represent the full, um, you know, fan base there because there are people that aren't on social media. You know, my dad's not, for example, and you know he's a season ticket holder. So there must be many others that feel fill into that category. But unfortunately, in terms of visual data that you. have, have and, and and um I don't know actual things that you can use to form a sort of a, a verdict or a survey on social media is the only thing you've got so yeah 
yeah, there are people you're right, that rightly say, as you said, um, social media doesn't represent the whole fan base. It doesn't. But in terms of when you're trying to talk about something on a show like this, or you're trying to use evidence as an opinion base, that's the only evidence you have unless yeah. the club put out some sort of survey that goes you know, to people's homes and they can fill it in postal like the old days or, you know, there's that sort of thing or, they, or the club cold call people and phone up. You're only going to be able to use social media as your main as your main use of evidence. So I I wanted to make that point because a lot of times people pull me up, particularly for saying not everyone for saying well it's said it on social media blah blah blah. So it must be true. I I know there is a large percentage of people that aren't using social media. However, you when you're going to talk about quantifying an opinion, that is the only method you've got. So that's why we use it. So I just thought that was an sort of important side note to, nice to add there. Very um, <clears throat> so this is from Mickey, and he said, Hello, gents. Hope you're both good. You've both been to a lot of grounds. Now, Dave, if you were to have a code red in any away ground that you've been to, which would it be? Toilets at grounds tend to be effing rank, but with Dave's track record, I don't know why I decided to bleep out the swear word then when we're talking about code red. You know, the whole, I don't know, bleep the whole thing out. But anyway, it's probably good to have a, play, a plan in place. Things to consider, best, worst facilities, and which stewards you'd most like to have clean up the debris <laughs> <laughs> well um it's quite right there you know toilets generally are ropey aren't they oh, they're horrendous mate that's what they're i really do bad. i'd rather dose up on a modium before yeah. going to an away day yeah. in the hope that I, I don't have to use one of them yeah and it's funny as well because you go in every single toilet and it's like fucking stars in your eyes. Do you remember when, when you go through a smoky door and come out as Barry White? Because everyone's having a fag in the toilets, aren't they? Yeah, or, um, or more. Yeah, yeah, or more, yeah. So, um, you know, if you're lucky enough to leave the toilets without getting emphysema, then you've had a touch. But, um, yeah, um, I, I don't know, really. I, I think in an ideal world, uh, I would just probably have a code read in the concourse at Tottenham. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even. <laughs> I wouldn't show them that level of respect. I'd just do it right in the middle of the concourse. Uh, I'd give some West Ham fans notice, of course, because you know we're all West Ham, aren't we? Um, but I'd have it right in the middle of the concourse, and I would watch the stewards uh, clean it up. <laughs> it is. I can't actually think. You know, I was trying to go through grounds in my head, and I was thinking of the most like modern ones. So you, you know, you're talking White Hart Lane, the new one. I was thinking of the Emirates. I'm trying to think of like you know newly built stadiums, which would surely be the best option if you had to go because they would have catered for you but actually the stadiums uh, away grounds they i don't know what it is they must just assume that people don't need to go to that end of your toilet spectrum um, away day because there's literally usually two or three cubicles of which are basically the the sniffy and smoking hangout <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and they're absolutely decimated by someone that has had a code red and not cleaned <laughs> and uh, you just literally you just literally don't want to go do you so no, um no 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 but at the same time i think you know if i owned a football club let's say let's say i've just built a fantastic new stadium right and now we've got to look at the toilets that we're going to put in place for away fans by the very nature of how to, and i'm not it sounds like i'm generalizing now i suppose i am really but the general nature of a lot of away fans, you're talking about the sort of, um, you know, the stuff that happens in toilets with the smoking, some of the other bits and pieces that happen. And, you know, you've got some graffiti and stickers. And, you know, if we've just lost 4-0 to Tottenham, you know, I've seen some people smash smash toilets up. How much investment are you going to put into the mm. toilets for away fans when typically, you know, they're not going to be treated well? Yeah, that's a fair point, mate. Yeah, I mean, that is true. Um it is, but then but they get with more traps. I mean, I can't remember where it was now. I don't, I don't know where it was, but there was literally one cubicle, yeah, and there was brilliant. a queue for people. And I was like, "Fucking, how can it be one cubicle in here?" One of the funny ones I find is, is Brentford's quite a funny one because you go to their toilet, it's quite big there, toilets for an away section, you know, they don't usually the tiny little things that you see, you know, it's a real squash and a squeeze and that's getting to, um, mm. but, and you've only got like one or two of them at Brentford have quite a big one from memory down the end of one of the stands. 
might be Southampton, possibly have the same as well, but certainly I'm pretty sure Brentford's one of them. And you go in there, they're well, well equipped for a Urine Hall's like they go the whole way round, but again, right in the middle, like an island, are like two cubicles, I think. And um, yeah, he don't get much chance. I think the best bet is just to go down what seems to be commonly accepted now and pretend you uh, identify as a woman. I'm just going to use the female toilets. <laughs> yeah. be best option now, to be fair, if that ever, if you're ever caught short. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. tell you what, though. I mean, you talk about the way some fans treat toilets in um, in in away day stadiums. I mean, I remember when we got relegated away to Wigan, and I tell you what, I went with my brother. And we went in the toilet after, and it looked like a bomb at it. I've, ne- I've never seen anything like it. I can't even begin to do it justice. Anyone that was there that day that went to the toilet after the game will know exactly what I mean. It, there was rubble all over the floor. Toilets were kicked off the wall. Urinals were ripped out. You had panels in the ceilings that had been ripped out, and there were sort of it looked like electric live wires just floating around um, from what the panel was concealing. And there was piss everywhere on the floor. Honestly, it looked like a bomb, did it? I've never seen anything like it in my life. So, you know, that is one example. When you've got a, a, a sport that is so tribal, that means so much to people, and, and, and you're so emotionally connected to it, where it could go the other way, and you've got two or 3,000 pissed-up, angry West Ham fans... You know, and you've pumped a load of money into the toilets. <laughs> I think you're going to lose quite a lot of money in terms of the damage. So I think they probably just give the bare basics, which I can kind of understand if I'm honest. But I just think they should probably do more cubicles because not many toilets seem to have a lot of cubicles. No, that's very true. I mean, that scene at Wigan, which you're painting, and I've seen it myself. At, uh, oh, mate, it's at I mean, I'm sorry, and if it's someone listening to this show, I'll still stand by this. You've got to question the mentality a little bit of mm. wanting to kick to the ground. Are you right at a toilet? When you're probably going to cover yourself in what's all that's been left in that toilet, which is never pleasant and away day. Let's be honest, you're mm. probably going to be in danger of electrocuting yourself. At the same time. <laughs> no, honestly, with all that, with all that you, you know, those are cables and the the liquid that is the piss and water all over the place. It's probably not yeah. a, a good combination, and <laughs> all for the sake of your football team losing a game. I think you do have to question the mentality of that a little bit. But uh, there you go. Well, maybe yeah. I'm just. Maybe I'm just boring and not passionate enough, but uh, <laughs> this is from Peter Anderson. He said, hi, Dave and X. With transfers being the main topic and looking at academy players progressing, apart from Rice, and interestingly, he's picked Joe Cole. Who are your top five academy to the first team players in your era? Uh, well, Rio's certainly got to be there. Yeah. That goes without saying. You've got Rio. Um Oh, good question. There's so many in there. So I'm just thinking off the top of my head. So you'd have Rio, Glenn Johnson, um, Jermaine Defoe. I mean, obviously we nicked him from Charlton, but he, he came through with Jermaine Defoe. Uh, Frank Lampard. I'm sure a few people will wince at that. And maybe I'm thinking more about what he went to went on to do in the game. But do you know what? Maybe I, I'm, I'm a rarity in this respect, but genuinely I liked Frank at West Ham. Mm. I, and, and, I, and, I, and I honestly remember wondering why he was getting so much stick and, and how unfair I thought it was that it was purely because of his family connections. Yes, he wasn't the player at West Ham that he went on to be, but I liked him. I liked him. Whether he'd make my all-time favourite, I think that's a bit of a push, but you know, I think his name at least has to be mentioned. Um, you missed two key ones in my eyes. Michael, Ka- Michael Carrick. Yeah, of course. And, Michael Carrick. And um, Mark Noble, obviously. Of course. Yeah. Um, the, the, see, I was thinking about this because you could throw in, obviously, through the academy, you got Bobby Moore, etc. but that's not our era. No. And I was kind of thinking, Paul Ince, dare I say it, and Tony Cotty. But again, when they played for us as academy players, that was ju- mm. just before I started going. Like I saw Tony Cotty in his second spell. Bade obviously been to Everton in between that, but um, so I think you probably rule those out. Another couple that I think deserve shouts in my era, or another three I can think of, Stuart Slater um, was was obviously play. I mean, I didn't see him break. I didn't see his debut for West Ham, but I was I was the scene to get hold of when he played for West Ham. Um, Danny Williamson. I mean, he was a very good midfielder. If it hadn't been for injuries, Mm. he would have been a great player. 
And I used to like Matthew Rush back in the day. I thought, I mean, he obviously never hit the heights of sort of the aforementioned players, but he certainly was. He certainly was a good player at times. But I think if you if you narrow down this question, because you mentioned Glenn Johnson, for example, you could say Ben Johnson as well, I guess. But Glenn Johnson, you narrowed down. You said him, but really he only played like twelve games for West Ham. So oh, I think, no. yeah. yeah no. So I think I think you have to. I think to narrow it down and maybe. Lab Lampard also falls into this category. But I think you have to do it in terms of contributions to West Ham. So for me, are we picking number like a singular person then, X, or is it like no, a... five, five? Oh, so okay. I think for me, I'm going to do it on terms of their contribution to West Ham. So that would rule out Glenn Johnson for me, even though he obviously went on to have an England career and played well for Liverpool and Chelsea and so on. Um, I am. I'm going to rule him out. So for me, it would be. No, if you're not having Rice as well and Joe Cole, it'd be Mark Noble. It's the obvious one. Um, he'd be first. Then I'd probably have Michael Carrick second because I loved him. Rio Ferdinand third. Well, it's, it's close between Carrick and Rio Ferdinand to be fair, but one of those second and third that I think you'd have to do, you'd have to do Jermaine Defoe for his goals. And then... <laughs> Anton Ferdinand's another one, isn't he? I've got him, Anton mm. Ferdinand. Um, then I think fifth, tends to say Danny Williamson, you know, because I think it's often forgotten how good he was for two or three years when he broke through at West Ham and then injuries affected him. I mean, Lampard obviously did really well at West Ham as well, so I feel like I'm counting him out a little bit too early. But mm. I think in terms of contribution, though, and I know it, it didn't end well for him at West Ham, but Stuart Slater, I think it's a great shout because yeah. he was so explosive, so entertaining mm. when he scored some great goals and made some great goals. He was so good to watch. Mm. I think he was he was consistently more enjoyable to watch than Danny Williamson was. For yeah, example. probably. Uh, Steve Potts is another. Oh, yeah. Well, in terms of contribution, bloody hell. Yeah. I mean, look at the amount of games he played. Yeah. Alvin Martin. Because we both saw him play. I mean, obviously, he came into the West Ham team before we were there. Uh, you yeah. know, wait, but he played whilst we were fans. Yeah, twilight years of his career at West Ham. But, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, but he would, yeah. He's 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 got to be there. Well, this is why this is why you can see why we're called the academy. Because if you pick a, a team that has came through the academy, you know the the team is unbelievable. Really, like you know, yeah. with the with all these players, like you said, you could throw in Bobby Moore, Martin Peters, Jeff Hurst. You know, there's just three yeah. off the top of my head. Trevor Brookin. You know, you throw them in with all the ones that we've mentioned from our era. You know, even someone like Ray Houghton. I mean, he had an amazing career. I think he only played once for West Ham, but actually started his career at West Ham. You know, and you could even be pushed to argue. You know, John Terry, he was at West Ham as a kid, wasn't he? And then left to go to Chelsea. But Yeah, Jack Collison. Yeah, that's another good shout, yeah. Well, I'm not sure Jack would be in the top five, but no, again, but... it'd be probably disrespectful not to mention him. I like Jack. Yeah, yeah, he was good before he got injured, but yeah, that's yeah, tough, so... isn't it? Yeah. So yes, yeah, so you're throwing Defoe in as the fourth, and then that leaves one, then, doesn't it? Yeah, I think. I agree so, with yeah. the thought, by the way. I do agree with yeah, the thought. I think you can't. Our era. Well, you can't not. Noble has to be it, doesn't he? Yeah, and of course then he does. Michael Carrick was so good for West Ham, as was Rio, and then. <sighs> You know, then yeah, when you got then it's tough, and that Jermaine Defoe did score a lot of goals for us. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I don't think I can give a definitive five, but um, yeah, it's a good question though. But uh, do you know what? If we're basing it on contribution to our era, then maybe we should give it to Potsy. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. it's contribution, I mean, Christ Almighty, he had over five hundred caps for West Ham, didn't he? I and mean, that's mm. that's what you call contributing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, maybe we should play right back, centre half, Mister Reliable. Unless he's playing Luton away in a cup competition, of course. But (laughs) yeah, captain. Yeah, captain. I think it's top bloke in there. Yeah, went to. um, Well, we'll try. Got us knocked from. um, What was that? What was that club called? Sugar Hut. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) got us knocked from Sugar Hut. So yeah, he's got lots of talents. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I think contribution. I think Potsy. Yeah. Okay. Nice one. Well, I, I'm torn, so I'll just agree for the sake of closing the question. But I think yeah. it's a it's a good shout, definitely. And um, this is from Charlie Cooper, if I remember correctly. Might not be the same guy. I think it's the guy that was playing at our um, event. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Looking forward to that. Charlie, yeah, that'd, that'd be, be really that'd be good. Great. 
another another reason to go. I mean, for those of you that don't drink, ten pounds, you know, like yeah. get it's just nothing, is it really, no. to come and see like Alan Devonshire, Julian Dix, Martin Allen. It's just mm. you know, Dave Walker, so much going on there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this like Charlie said, evening guys, with the fiasco at the West Brom versus Wolves game, it got me thinking about the poor stewarding at the London Stadium. With the stewards making no effort to deny entry to away fans, even when wearing the away team's kit, is it only a matter of time before we see something like this at the London Stadium? And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, I mean, look, we already have seen it, haven't we? It is a problem at times for away fans coming in the London Stadium. And the only saving grace from these experiences is that it hasn't massively kicked off where people have got seriously hurt. Because I've said before, whilst I don't condone someone from another team coming in and getting hurt in terms of, you know, I don't want to see anyone hurt in any walk of life. Um, you're asking for trouble. You're absolutely asking for trouble. If, if you're going to be stupid enough as an away fan to go in the home end and maybe cheer if your team score or be stupid enough to wear the colours of the team that are playing against West Ham and then you do get a clump and you do get hurt, then I'm sorry, you've only got yourself to blame. You've only got yourself to blame. But we are seeing more and more of it now. We are. Um, and I, in terms of what we can do about it, the, the problem is, I think unless we own the stadium and we stop subcontracting the recruitment of stewards and own it ourselves, and we get proper West Ham people across the board that have the interest of the home fans at heart, because they are a West Ham fan, for example, and they they themselves don't want to see away fans in the home end, I think we're always going to have this problem. But that is, I think, is the only way that you can eradicate it, to be honest. Uh, and I, even, I, even then, even then, X, how do you stop it? If, they, if they're not going to wear their home team, uh, their team's colours, and they're not going to shout if their team scores, you know, how, how are the stewards going to know? I don't think they will, will they? I mean, actually, in order to defend the stewards, um, to be fair, it wasn't the... The um, external stewards that are employed, it was actually the, the a couple of stewards that I know and we know at away days that have been there for years um, and do, um, you know, do the stewarding of away games. I actually saw a couple of people when I went in, can't remember what game it was. Uh, so it wouldn't have been Bristol City. It would have been probably the Man United game I'm going to go with. Well, the Man United game, I saw a group of people, four or five people stopped by the stewards and told that they couldn't wear, I think they had Man United shirts on or scarves or something. My dad must have been shirts because I heard the woman say, well, I haven't got anything else to wear. Um, but they were wearing Man United tops in the West Ham homestand, obviously ridiculous. Um, but that he, they did, I know they did stop them. They did stop them where I saw. So I mean, well, well, and, and these are the, the West Ham stewards of old. Yeah, yeah. So the these are the subcontracted old. ones that no. obviously couldn't give a shit. Because no, I'd, no. I'd like to know what the percentage is with the stewards in terms of our own stewards that yes. have been with us since day dot and the Upton Park days versus the subcontractors. What the percentage? Well, I think I think the old ones are in very much in the minority. I think That's it's what mainly, I thought. Yeah. yeah, I think it's mainly the subcontract. Subtra- 
subcontracted um, ones that are the uh, are the main workforce, but it does get stopped. But like you said, it's very hard to stop, particularly if you're playing, you know, a London team. Obviously, if you're playing Liverpool and you see that someone that's never bought tickets before from Liverpool is trying to buy tickets, then it gives you a bit of an alarm bell. But if we were playing, say, Arsenal or Spurs or Chelsea or whatever, you know, you get, as you all know, from where you live, you know, you got Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea fans living all around you, so you wouldn't be able to discriminate against them upon their um, addresses. Mm. So it's very hard, like you say, to actually filter it out, you know, so if mm. they get into the ground, then you've got to think you just act with a bit of um, intelligence, you know, if you, you know you're in a London derby or uh, any Premier League game, really, if you're sat in the waist, the wrong section, and you celebrate a goal, or you make it very obvious that you support the opposition, then you're likely to find yourself in trouble. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, the game yesterday, well, well it's, I mean, I only saw bits of it, but it looked appalling from what I could see. But then, you know, what were those fans doing that were in the wrong stand and probably celebrating goals or or doing the opposite? You know, they, they um, yeah, it's something that you just need to, that just happens, doesn't it? If you're in the wrong stand, and I think people should know that by now, it's not like it's just suddenly started happening. It's been happening for 30, 40 years. So um, you do yeah. question why people still do it and end up, getting themselves hurt because they're too they don't, they're not subtle enough but no it's, it's just yeah. stupidity and I do understand that you know with the the, the fan in casual clothing from uh, another team is is difficult to police but it, they should absolutely be denied entry whether if if you're wearing the colors of another team you have to even legally and it should even say this in small print with your ticket confirmation if you're wearing a, a, another team's color in the home end you will be refused entry. Whether you've got something else to wear or not, that's it. If you're wearing those colours, you don't come in. Because mm. you're inciting crowd violence. That's yeah. what you're doing. So mm. you're actually protecting them by not letting them in. Mm. And you're preventing trouble in the stands by not letting them in. Because there are people that are fucking stupid enough to do it. Whether you're a man, woman or child, you just you just shouldn't do it. Because there's too much emotion at stake with this sport. And it's not yeah. a sport to a lot of people. It's it's a passion, and emotions are are massively involved in football. So just mm. use some fucking common sense, and that goes for the stewards as well. They should absolutely um, have all rights revoked to enter that stadium if they're wearing another team's colours. That, that, mm. For me, that's a no-brainer. But for everyone else, the casual clothes fan, it's is difficult. Mm-hmm. But if, if they do make um, um, a song and dance of themselves, and they they do get hurt, then they've only got themselves to blame. You know, sit on <laughs> sit on a ferry, you're going to get your ass tickled, didn't you? <laughs> Unfortunately, the only um, the only problem with these crowd violences is that often, well, not unfortunately, but a consequence of it is that innocent people often end up getting hurt as well, and so that's why you're within your rights to legally, I would say, stop people from the opposition wearing their colours in the wrong stand because it's not only their own safety that you're you're guarding against, but you're guarding against other people's around them because. For example, mm. if you've got, you know, say, those Man United fans in the West Ham stand, people throw things at them. And let's be honest, a pissed up West Ham fan throwing a, a coin or something from, I don't know, a distance of 30 metres <laughs> is unlikely to hit the spot every single time. They're mm. likely to hit someone that's innocently standing by. Um, and so it's not just the people that have stupidly enough done it, it's those that ha- happen to be in proximity of them as well that are going to get caught up in it. And, you know, I don't want to go to a West Ham game with my kids. Um, and see the opposition fans next to me celebrating for their team and then getting the crap beaten out of them in front of my own kids because that's not why I take them to football for. You know, I don't mm. want them to see that side of it. So, yeah, it protects the home fans as well as those fans stupid enough to, to do it as well. Yeah. Um, so this is from Max Shepherd, And he said, Hi, lads, love the podcast and the work you two put in. My question is, with Phillips now signed, do you think Moyes might play Suchek at centre-back. We all know Moyes loves him due to his aerial ability, but maybe a way maybe a way he could keep his place in the side. Yeah, do you know, it's a real tough one, that, because there's no way Calvin Phillips is going to leave the bench of Man City to sit on the bench at West Ham. No. So he's going to play week in, week out. I think we know that. But then who does he replace? Because I think if you did a poll, most fans, I think the vast majority of fans would say Suchek. 
Mm. And and I think I think I would agree with that. But then, you know, you are losing some qualities in Sunshine. Fuck you, you know. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've even turned now. Mate, why the hell I have this fucking shit podcast? And now you're turned. <laughs> you're such a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you will lose certain qualities. You know, the, the fact that since Deck's gone again, I think he's found his form again. I mean, if you look across typically a 90-minute match... I think you could critique him left, right and centre, but he is that player that arrives late in the box and, and gets a winner and gets three points. And, you know, he's great from um, set plays, defending and attacking. And Moise obviously loves him, which, you know, if you if you was to ask me, who do you think Moise loves most in his midfield? I don't, Suchek's going to be up there, I think. So then would he drop Suchek? But then if you, if you, drop, if you don't drop him, you're not going to lose Prousey, are you? Because he's an absolute engine and, and he's worth his weight in gold in terms of set pieces. Alvarez, I don't think you can. Um, but I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. There I don't are some. Maybe, maybe we'll see more. Maybe Suchek will become more involved as opposed to the first name on the team sheet. So he will play a lot of minutes every week, but he will be using more of a rotational basis rather than starting. Because I, I can only see that central part being Alvarez, Walprouse and Phillips. I can't see, I can't see him taking Alvarez or Prousey out. No, see that would be my choice, obviously. But centre can he play centre half, well, Suchik? Well, he has done for his national team, but one person that has also played centre half for for a large part of their career is Alvarez. Mm. So, you know, you could potentially put him at centre back, keep Suchik where he is, and then put Phillips maybe as the as the more defensive one out of all of those central players. I've also seen people talk about dropping Ward Prowse, which in my opinion is ridiculous because yeah. no, he, 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 he's, it's not just the set pieces. You lose, you lose all the assists as well. Um, yeah. and so for me, it, it should be Suchek. And I've always said, and I still maintain this, if, you're, if you've got Suchek on the bench with 25 minutes to go, whatever the scenario is, he can help. Because if it's a case that you're winning 1-0 and you're trying to defend the lead, well, he's one of the best clearers of corners defensively with his head that we've got. If it's the case that you're losing or drawing and you're going for a goal, then he's one of the best people you've got coming into the box late as well. And I think if you've got your opposition and they're setting up to deal with a midfield of Alvarez, Phillips and Ward-Prowse, it then suddenly changes hugely if you bring on Suchek, particularly if you're bringing on Suchek and Antonio at the same time, because again, I think Antonio should be on the subs bench. So if you're bringing on those two as impact subs, you've got the height that's going to uns- unsettle the defenders from set pieces and those late runs that he makes. You've then got the pace, the power and the unpredictability of Antonio as well. For me, I don't think you can get better than two, uh, better t- impact subs than those yeah. two. Um, and I think that's what I would be doing, and I would try and really sell it to those two that you're, you know, you're massively important. But you're gonna, your importance comes for 25 minutes when you come on, and I want you to terrorise the opposition. And of course, like you said, there'll be rotation. I mean, Alvarez has picked up quite a few injuries and suspensions since he's been at West Ham, so you can't count on him to play every game. I think Phillips has had a bit of an injury record in the past when he was at Leeds and stuff. So whether he'll be fit for every game is also questionable. So there will be times when naturally the selection is who we've got available. But if you've got everyone available, then I believe, and this is actually a compliment to Suchet, he might not see it that way, but I think it's a compliment having him and Antonio. You are impact subs, but your impact, because I know that when I bring you on for 25 minutes, you're both going to have a strong chance of massively influencing in this game because I think Suchek in, in, in short spells is really really good and he's effective in what he does which is heading and, and late finishing um, but his overall contribution to a 90 minutes of football is where I have my question marks so this yeah. would be the way to solve that issue the same with Antonio you know he's effective for about 45 minutes and then the rest he isn't so they get it. it solves that problem of, of the two of them, and that's what I would do. It does, and also bearing in mind that Phillips 
is is potentially not long term at West Ham. No, it's exactly. Suchek has a long term contract, so you know th- th- even if he's not happy with it, this is only for the rest of the season. There's no guarantees that Phillips will sign on a permanent for West Ham. You know, you could argue he probably won't. I don't know. You know more than I do. But, you know, for, for all we know now is that he is here for six months. And at the very least, to play on a rotational basis for six months, I think he'd swallow that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if, if, if it becomes a case of, right, we've we've signed Calvin Phillips now on a long-term deal, then Suchek might have to ask himself some questions. Do I want to be using a rotational basis or do I want to play week in, week out? And that's a separate conversation, isn't it? But for the here and now, I'm I'm sure, you know, Thomas to me seems like a team player, like a nice fella, someone that's great to have in a dressing room and just wants to win at all costs, um, which would come necessarily whether he's involved or not. Mm-hmm. So I think I think if you're talking about dropping someone, he would be the one player that I think would take it very well. And, it's, uh, and it's, as it stands, it's only on a short-term basis anyway. Yeah, and, and if it was me, and maybe this sums up my personality, and it, it could be different to Sue Checks, but I'd much rather, if it was me, be effective for 25 minutes and probably score as many goals and, and contribute as much as I am going to in those 25 minutes than playing a 90 minutes and maybe having the same contribution or less. You know, I'd much rather have be able to come off a game and say, right, I only played 20 minutes, but I scored a goal, then I played 90 minutes and I didn't score. I'd much rather do that. And if you can sell that to Suchek, that, you know, I'm thinking about your impact and it's what I want to get the maximum impact from you as a player, surely as a player, you'd rather look at the end of the season as I scored 20 goals in, or 15, whatever, in this amount of minutes than I scored 10 goals, but I played more minutes. You know, I, I think it depends what type of person you are, I guess. But for me, I'd much rather have the impact and less time, impact in shorter time than less impact in greater time, if that makes I, sense. I, yeah, I definitely agree with the fact that they could both be very good impact subs, Antonio and, and Suchek, definitely. Mm. Um, but again, you know, see, I don't think Antonio has the same personality as Suchek in terms no. of his acceptance of becoming an impact yeah. sub, as I think mm-hmm. Suchek would. I think we'd have more of a problem with Antonio not starting, yeah. which, to be fair, isn't necessarily a bad thing, because if your players have got the ump with not playing, it shows they want to play and they're hungry, so that's a good yeah. thing. But and the, the dressing room, is it a good thing? I don't know. Again, you'd have to take Antonio to the side and just say, look, you're 33, 34. Yeah. You're still playing for Jamaica, which is mm. your choice. You know, If you want to preserve your career at Premier League level and international level by playing less time, you're going to, you might, you're going to have a longer years of duration as a player. You know, I think, you know, you look at those players like Alan Shearer, for example, and others that retired from international football quite early because they wanted to prolong their Premier League career. Well, Antonio's only just really became an international. So, I mean, to be fair, I think you no disrespect to Jamaica. He could probably play for them when he was 40, 45. But I think... It's <laughs> 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 a bit disrespectful to Jamaica. Well, but then probably obviously, by roots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bob Marley. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a bit disrespectful to Jamaica's national team. But what I was saying is that it's obviously not that higher standard now. I mean, I think they used to be. What was it when they had the, the reggae boys in the 98 World Cup? I think they were a decent team there, but yeah, you know, obviously their stature's fallen quite a bit. But, you know, I think they could, I think he could prolong his international career and his um, Premier League career by being an impact sub rather than playing 90 minutes, getting another knee injury cause, or a hamstring injury or whatever, and then being out for ages. You know, he wants to play with Jamaica, which is fair enough it's his it's his you know ancestry it's his dream you know why why wouldn't you want to play and make your family proud but at the same time you know you're traveling all around the world to do that you know he started his international career late if he wants to have a prolonged international career then i think reducing his time in the premier league um would would help with that so that would be where you try and sell it to him in that respect as well um and i think last question for this section to finish on a sort of reasonably comical one it's from ben kelly comical yet painful at the same time um <laughs> who was the worst keeper between roberto and mcknight uh do you know what i know with um with alan his, his nickname was mcknightmare but I, I just don't think i've ever seen a goalkeeper like roberto before i, I mm. honestly I, I think he 
he took the baton from from Alan McKnight because he was consistently absolutely awful, where he became a liability. I would shit myself at every cross, every corner, every long shot, every one-on-one. Like I had, I've never in my life as a West Ham fan had absolutely zero faith in a player in Claret and Blue than, than I did with Roberto. He was absolutely atrocious. McKnight wasn't great, let's be honest, but Roberto, uh, you'd do well to beat that. He was absolutely terrible when we had him. Oh yeah, it's definitely got to be Roberto because the thing is, I think Alan McKnight, and he's a nice lad, by the way, like it was his birthday the other day, mm. and you know, and he, um, we've had him on the show, haven't we? He's one of our extra time guests, and he actually yeah. talks about all the stick he got. It's quite a good interview, to be fair. Um, he, um, you know, he he was, I think he was a decent keeper, was an okay keeper, but he just, and, he, and most of the time he would do well, but he always had a night a nightmare in him, like he'd make a big mm. mistake. Roberto mm. just didn't seem to have any qualities. I remember before we'd even really known who he was, he, he played in a European, it, I think it might have even been a tournament in Asia or somewhere. There was like a, yeah, some tournament and I watched it on TV and I got up at like seven in the morning. I've got a feeling it was in like China or somewhere like that. And he was in goal. And I remember watching it thinking, what is wrong with this guy's positioning? You know, even even in a friendly game in China, first time I've ever seen him, I was like, he's not standing in the right place. And then when it came to actually seeing him playing in, you know, in the Premier League and in the Cup and stuff, he did the same thing. And a lot of his goals that he made mistakes for, not only were they terrible in terms of handling and decision-making, etc., etc., but his positioning was all wrong, which is why he made the mistakes, because he couldn't recover, because his positioning was so bad. I just don't understand how a goalkeeper that, you know, let's be honest, had had a reasonably decent career before before coming to West Ham. I mean, I'm just going to quickly load it up now so I get it right. But, um, you know, he, he played for top Spanish teams in the Liga and stuff. You know, I don't understand how he could, you know, it says here he played 150 games in La Liga. You know, he played for Atletico Madrid. You know, he played for Benfica. He played for Zaragoza. He played for Olympiacos, Espanyol. Malaga, you know, even when he left West Ham, he went to Valladolid or whatever their name is. And it, yeah. yeah, and he played 32 times to then. You know, how can, and he was a Spanish under 21 goalkeeper as well. So at some point, he must have known how to be a goalkeeper. So why it went so terribly wrong at West Ham, I don't know. I really don't know. It's I a remember. Mystery, isn't it? It is. I remember he had one good game for us, and I can tell you why I can remember it. It's because you and I managed to get into the players' lounge. Do you remember? And we met him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. Um, actually, I've forgotten about that until yeah, you mentioned it. Yeah, we got yes. into. The, we were in the players' lounge. We were lucky to be invited in the players' lounge, and we met all the players. And Roberto actually came. And to be fair to him, he was a nice guy. He came and spoke to us both, didn't he? And yeah. I remember I've saying to him, yeah, "Yeah, I remember saying to him, you had a good game." Yeah, yeah. And I like shaking his hand I think I don't know it was a home game obviously but he yeah and he but I don't know which one and he and he shook our hand and was like cheers mate so he obviously had it within his locker to be decent but it's been his only decent performance for West Ham oh yeah definitely he was consistently a liability for us we only played eight times for West Ham so yeah yeah, yeah. in the league Um, so yeah it must have been I mean the fact is you remember that Chelsea game which is iconic (laughs) by the way now when when he was actually dropped for David Martin immediately we started it was like we'd we'd won the game and the chance started you know we've got a chance Martin's in goal you know like whereas before if it had been Roberto he didn't have a chance like you know and it's just Mm. um, crazy to think you know, and that I think that ultimately cost Pellegrini his job because those games that he played where we were terrible and throwing away points against teams we should have beaten and getting knocked out of the League Cup by was it Oxford 4-0 or something ridiculous like that if if we'd won those games or if we'd had a decent keeper in the goal then I don't think we would have lost them and I'm not sure Pellegrini's season would have sort of dive bombed as much as it did so you know you've got to question Pellegrini as well as a manager that won the Premier League and a, and a, a, a glittering career before coming to West Ham what did he because he signed him what did he see in him as well you know yeah. it's just so it's just baffling all round. It's something. It's, it must be something about West Ham. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at the players that have come to us. Okay, some of them are in the twilight years of their career and they've just seen West Ham as a pay packet. But even if you put that to one side, you look at the likes of Jack Wilshere, you know, and signings like Patrice Evra 
and um, Savio. Yeah, Savio and like <laughs> Arbaloa. Fuck me, that geezer's been there and done it all. Like the yeah. trophies he's won. And then he turns up and West Ham are the only club where he shows the level of unprofessionalism that he showed by kicking some academy player in the head. And that's it. He's done at West Ham. He's finished. Yeah. Zazar. You know, yeah. it, there's so many players that we just seem to, I don't know, we seem to put some sort of a curse on. Javier Mascarano. Yeah, exactly. Can't, <laughs> can't get inside because of Aidan Mullins, then goes on to do well with Liverpool, Barcelona and Argentina. <laughs> but, you know, this, this fucking club of ours, mate, honestly, that, no wonder there is never, ever a lack of content to talk about when we, it's, when we it's a, it keeps us in a job mate to be fair yeah, it and, enable, and it enables no exactly it enables us um, to run a um, run a, a, a write a book on a decade mm, yeah. and we can and we could quite easily I've said it before we could quite easily do high, highs lows and savios the, yeah. the talk yeah. from 2000 to 2010 <laughs> and I'm sure there's another player ending in O that's equally as iconic from <laughs> 2010 to 2020 you know yeah. I'm yeah. sure there's another one and um yeah it's just uh it's just it's just this club of ours is a it's a unique specimen shall we say yeah cool and it just and it just well some great questions there and thanks to everyone for uh sending them in we're going to get some more after x's section but before we go to your section x the premier league is back it does return it kicks off at home to bournemouth on thursday then of course we go to old trafford on the sunday give us your thoughts on both of those fixtures both winnable uh, yeah, I think so. I think Bournemouth, we should definitely be looking to win. You know, they're not a bad side, as I've always said. I like Solanke. I think their new manager's done quite well for them. Um, so, so they're a decent team. But really, if West Ham are a team that are going to finish sixth in the Premier League, then you've got to be looking to beat the likes of Bournemouth at home. And then when you go to Manchester United, all right, they got a, a new port, but they got a decent result yesterday. They, um, are not the team they used to be. This is probably the, the least feared Man United team I could ever remember. You know, and if we beat them, you know, what was it, six points ahead of them, five points, six points above them in the league? Well, we've got to be going there, not to lose. You know, if we drew, then fair enough. But if we don't lose that game, then it keeps us in a very healthy position to win against Bournemouth. And let's just say, for argument's sake, a draw at Old Trafford, four points out of those six. I'd definitely take that, and I think it's definitely within our capabilities. You know, going into that game against Bournemouth, we'll have Phillips, we'll have Kudos back, we'll have Bowen back. I'm due to find out about Pakitar today. There's there's talk he could be available as well. You know, apart from apart from Aguerd, um and possibly Antonio. Then, if you include in Pakistan, then there's no one really missing from that starting eleven. Obviously, Shafal be suspended, but I think Ben Johnson's done well recently so you can put him at right back and uh yeah I mean, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from um from there yeah i totally agree with everything you said there by the way i think it's right i think to expect four points out of the six personally i don't think it's out the realms of possibility to get six because i think you should be expected to beat bournemouth at home man united's never easy don't get me wrong but like you say i don't think there's ever been a better time to play them I really don't. I, I, and I think our style of play suits a game like Man United away. If we can just contain their um, their, their attack in the final third and then we can be explosive with the players that we will have available again, I really do think they could struggle with us in the final third. If we turn up and we stick to our game plan and we maybe even nick something from a set piece, but we are effective, more effective than they are in the final third, especially on the counter-attack, which will leave them vulnerable against some real pace that West Ham have got, I, I can't see any reason why we can't come away with six points from those two games. But I'd take four. Would I take three? Out of six, I mean, I wouldn't be losing sleep, but to be honest, I think with the position that we're in and and if you look at our, how serious we are about a, a, a serious Premier League finish this season, I think you should be looking to get at least four. But, but having some self-belief that you can get six for the reasons we've both given. Yeah, and happy days. I'm excited about Manchester, mate, because we're, yeah. going, up on, we're going up on a Saturday, um, staying in the usual hotel right near the ground, um, <laughs> out in Manchester town on Saturday night. Um, it should be if we get there in time, because, uh, yeah, I don't know what time we're going to get there, but if we do get there in time, should hopefully be a, a good night out and, um, yeah, and a good away day. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, as always. Okay, it's that time again. Call it all West Ham fans. Are you a patron of the West Ham way? If not, why not? 
For the price of a pint, you get top quality content on a daily basis to include the famous West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X, over 100 interviews with ex-players and celebrity fans, Mad Dog Bites with Martin Allen, a show with Tony Cotty, the U Irons podcast, the West Ham Way USA, a transfer window show with Demis Chef, an expert pre-match analysis. There are virtual events with ex-players, written articles, match day discussion, away day burger reviews, in-depth match reports, and if you want to be the first to get reliable, accurate, exclusive news on all club affairs, you'll get exactly that from the best ITK in the business, ex-West Ham United employee. All that and more delivered to your phone for a fiver a month. It's the daddy. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. No, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.